It's the apocalypse, end of days, the judgment day, the end of the world, my friend. Society is at a tipping point between order and chaos. So the end of the world. Are you the kind that sees signs, sees miracles? It's the way it's always been. morning. Super glad that you are here. I want to welcome uh, all of our campuses, our online listeners, our friends, our visitors, however you're uh, participating this weekend. Uh, we just want to welcome you and we really are grateful uh, that you're here. Before I jump into the message, uh, I got one commercial that I need to, I need to do. Um, our uh, uh, trip back to Peru, the end of October, the first part of November, our church is heavily connected to several orphanages there, something that the Lord did years and years ago. And I personally have such a heart uh, for, for orphans, and uh, it's just something that's been supernatural. Um, it's, it's a throwaway kid society there. If I try to describe to you the poverty, my words will not come near it. You wouldn't believe it. You would think that I'm exaggerating. So I found the best way to try to introduce people to what we're talking about is to take them there. So we take several teams. Um, whenever we have the opportunity to do so. So I'm actually leading a team in October. It's the 27th through November the 5th. This is a medical missions team. We're actually uh, bringing doctors, physician assistants, uh, diff different opportunities just to, um, to, to do something for these kids that they just don't normally have. You and I, if you think about it, if I said to you, hey, um, if you need to go see a dentist, you could probably open... Um, Google and find 50 dentists in the immediate vicinity. Most of these kids have never been, been to a dentist and don't have access to one. They don't have access to medical care like that. So we're trying to do more than just simply um, feed and clothe them. We also try to um, educate them. We try to meet a physical need and then also, obviously, a spiritual need in their life. And so I'm asking for our medical personnel to go with me. So all my doctors signed up. All my nurses signed up. I'm missing dentists. That's about how the response has been, right? Just, just real quiet like that. And I know that we have, um, we have several inside of our church. Uh, it would be my heart to open it up to our people first. That's, that's my desire. This is something that I'm trying to connect our people to. If we need to go outside, I've had several people come to me and say, hey, my, my dentist would love something like this. Can I tell them about it? Um, I mean, if we have to go that direction for sure, but I know we have dentists inside of our church, so I'm just making a plea um, I, I don't know any other way to say it. If you are a dentist and you, um, if you were driving over here this weekend and you were saying, Lord, I really wish you would speak to me. This is the Lord speaking <laughs> to you today. So, <laughs> we would love for you to join us. I would also say this. Um, maybe, maybe the timing of this does not work out for you, and, uh, but you'd be open to doing something like this in the future. Let us know. Because we would love to get your name, and uh, we'll contact you and, and see if there is one that might fit you. But we're in desperate need of a dentist for this. How would you get more information about it? Our missions pastors, Jonathan Merling, let me show you real quick. This is his email, jmurley at jfc.org. So jmurley at jfc.org. And if you were interested in more information, or you just simply know, hey, if you need me, I would like to volunteer my services please contact uh, Pastor Jonathan, and he'll give you all the information 
on the trip that you'll need. But again, uh, it's a personal invitation. I promise you this, um, while you'll have a great trip and while you will come back uh, in one piece, um, this, this part will be true. Part of your heart will stay there. You'll understand what I'm talking about and why I'm so excited about what God is doing there. So, all right, enough of that. Let's go ahead and we'll jump into this. We're in the last message in our series called uh, Summer Blockbuster. And so simply, um, if you haven't been here, uh, you're visiting today or maybe you've been on vacation, so what is it about? We just took the theme Summer Blockbuster because that's what happens during the summertime. All the Summer Blockbuster movies come out. And we thought, let's have a little fun. I realize people are traveling a lot this time of year. I realize there's a lot of things that are going on, a lot of commitments. Sometimes it's just nice. You, you take the weekend and you just hang out at home. We decided all the way back in the wintertime, late winter, let's design a series when it comes to summer. We don't want to throw away our summer just because people are in and out. Let's design a series that people could come in and out of and not feel like, man, I wasn't here last week. I don't know what's going on, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Let's just make each message kind of stand alone so that if you are traveling and if you do have other obligations and you can't make it every weekend, when you did come in, you would feel like, wow, I get that, and it would be something that could really be beneficial to you. So we just took the idea of summer blockbuster. Here was the only, um, the only caveat to the whole thing. When we sat down to write our messages as a team, we just simply said, let's write the messages first, and then if we can find movies that would help uh, illustrate something, we'll do that. In other words, we just didn't want Hollywood to, to teach us. We wanted the Bible to teach us and then use Hollywood for our purposes. How about that right there? So um, here's, here's what this one is about. Uh, final message, and I just called, um, I just called this one, uh, Is This the End? And let me just throw this out to you real quick. How many of you are looking around like almost every day now and you're confused by what you see going on in our world, yes or no? Yes. So, I mean, do you, it's almost becoming numbing to where if you look in, in Paris a year and a half ago at uh, Charlie Hebdo, um, I, it was so shocking at that point. And it's not like that's the first thing that's happened uh, either in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the recent past. But it was like the first one that was so shocking. And then almost every day now, the amount of coverage that happened over that particular attack, and then what happened in Germany just a couple of days ago. You can, even the world is becoming numb to it because it's almost like just another headline for, for a day or two, and then it's gone. Do you, have you seen that? It's almost like we're becoming numb to it. It's just it's unbelievable what's happening around us. I think it's happening with such um, velocity and veracity. There's almost like, I, I mean, what is it? So I just thought maybe I would touch on this. Our next series actually is going to deal a little bit with uh, the idea of what's happening in the world today, what's going on uh, around us in our country and outside. And uh, we'll actually begin that uh, two weeks from today. But this was just called, uh, Is This the End? And uh, my clip for this is not a movie, it's a television show. I'm actually going to use a clip from The Walking Dead. <laughs> so, Pastor, how could you do that? Because I'm brave enough to stand up here and do it. That's how... I could do it. So uh, it actually just fit. Here's the idea behind it. Um, uh, it it's about a bunch of zombies, um, but they are, they're dealing with like a plague that happened, and they're, they're trying to find a way out of it, and these two people are having a conversation, and the guy just realizes, hey, th this, this could be the end, man. It's, there's no way out of this. Um, I'm using it sort of as a, uh, an opposite to what I want to teach today. I think a lot of people, especially believers, are looking at the world today, and they're so negative about what's going on. They just feel like this, there's just no hope. And I would say to you, the very last place that God wants you at in your life is to be with no hope. Amen. And even when you look at our world and you feel like, man, it is, 
it's just crazy out there. What's happened? I would still say to you, wouldn't, wouldn't it be wonderful if the world was just like, hey, we don't know what's happening. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the church actually said, look, it's going to be okay. We know the end of the book. We win and follow us. Wouldn't that be great? The church, rather than the church, <laughs> rather than the church, you always get me distracted, man. I can't. And then I have to just go back to my notes. I'm waxing eloquent and boom. All right. So the, the <laughs> what was I saying? I don't even remember what I was Yeah. I don't think that was it. But I'll um, watch this clip and then we'll just go. <laughs> this place is beautiful. Been in my family 160 years. I can't believe how serene it is, how untouched. You're lucky. We weren't completely unscathed. We lost friends, neighbors. The epidemic took my wife, my stepson. I'm sorry. My daughters were spared. I'm grateful to God for that. These people here, all we got left is each other just hoping we can ride it out in peace till there's a cure. We were at the CDC. It's, it's, it's gone now. There is no cure. I don't believe it. When AIDS came along, everyone panicked. One boy in town came down with it, and some parents pulled their children from school so they didn't have to sit in the same room. This is a whole other thing. That's what we always say. This one's different. Well, this one is. Mankind's been fighting plagues from the start. We get our behinds kicked for a while, then we bounce back. It's nature correcting herself, restoring some balance. I wish I could believe that. I just use it with the idea that in this clip, they kind of come to the realization, hey, there's no way out, it's the end, it's hopeless. I think a lot of people, especially believers today, just look at what's going on, around, and it's changed so much in our lifetime that people just feel so hopeless. They feel helpless, and they feel like, man, it's just, it's chaos. Could God even be in charge? And I think maybe the direction I would take you with this message is to talk about that very issue right there, because I think regardless of what happens around us, the hope in us should never change. I think that that's God's purpose and God's plan. So uh, Matthew 24 is where I'm going to start. Let me just say this about this. Um, Matthew 24 is probably the most clear and concise um, passage we have from the Bible about last days or end times. The context is really simple. The disciples are walking with Jesus right outside the temple in Jerusalem, and they ask him this direct question, uh, what will be the sign of your coming and what will it look like in the last days? I mean, you can't get any more concise than that right there. And Jesus just simply speaks to them from their question. So I'll just read it to you. Uh, I didn't have room to put the entire chapter in here, obviously. If you've never read it, you should. There's a lot in here that's really interesting. What's really um, uh, an interesting thing to do is that you could put the Bible on one side, the newspaper on the other, read what Jesus said 2,000 years ago, and find connections to what's going on today. That's a, that's a powerful thing right there. And by the way, so why would the Lord give us insight into stuff that would happen before it happens? I would just say this to you. 
He does that so that we'll know he hasn't lost control. He gives us insight into events ahead of time so that we won't panic and we won't think, this must have caught God by surprise. If God knows, it didn't catch him by surprise. And he's telling us so we don't have to be caught by surprise. So that hope in you can remain strong and it can remain steady. So this is Matthew 24. I'll use 3 through 8 and then verse 13. It just simply reads this way later. Uh, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately, and they just simply said to him, Tell us, when, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? So context, I mean, it cannot be any clearer than that. This isn't anybody twisting it to say something or trying to apply it to an area that may or may not be true. I mean, it's exactly what it says. So Jesus answers their question directly. Uh, Jesus said to them, don't let anyone mislead you. So I just would stop there and comment. He's talking to believers. The context is what's going to happen before he returns the condition of the earth, people's hearts. And the first thing Jesus said is it's going to be possible to be misled, but don't let it happen to you. So can I just say this to you? Because he's talking to believers, is it possible that believers could be misled? Well, for sure it is. I mean, otherwise, why would he even say it or give us advice or encouragement not to be misled? So don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and threats of wars. And then a second piece of advice, don't panic. Don't lose your nerve. Don't lose your head. Don't don't sit there like, I can't believe this is happening. I'm telling you ahead of time, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place. But the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of birth pains, more to come. But the one, here's the third piece of advice. The one who endures, the one who holds on, the one who stands strong or firm, that one will be saved. That one will make it. That one will be okay. So here, here's what I did. I just took this little passage of scripture. I think there are three things that Jesus just simply says, here's what you do when you see these things happening. And so that's just what I'm going to teach from. This isn't my opinion, my idea, my thoughts. This is what Jesus told us to do. So if you're a believer, it should kind of direct you with all the stuff that's going on. The first one just simply says, don't be misled. So I put in your notes how not to be deceived. Uh, the Treasury Department. The Treasury Department... Part of a branch of the Treasury Department is to deal with counterfeit. There are people all over the world who try to counterfeit American currency because it's, it's the peg around the world for what money is valued at and what money is worth. It's what they use. And so there are countries, North Korea is, is a famous one for counterfeiting our currency. How do they train people to know the difference between what is real and what is fake? Look, back in the day, Counterfeiting was not very sophisticated, but today, with the printers that are available at your Home Depot, at your Staples, the paper that can be bought now, people can become so sophisticated that they can make treasury bills that are very close to what you have in your wallet or in your purse right now. So how do they train people to know the difference? They don't take a bunch of fake and put it on the table and tell the people, hey, get used to feeling the fake. Here's how they train a treasury department person to to detect the counterfeit. They give them the real stuff. They tell them, handle this, feel this, look at this. Get used to what it smells like and what it feels like and what it looks like. That way, when the fake comes along, you know the difference because you've had the real. Follow me for just a second and listen to this. 
you want to know how you keep from being misled, so many people today, they pay so much attention to TMZ. They pay so much attention to the afternoon news and the morning news and the newspaper and what the paper has to say about where the world is going and what's happening. Can I say to you, you don't detect the real by getting used to the fake. Get used to the real and then you'll know what's fake. Build your life on Jesus. It's a fixed point. And let me throw this out. And I, I think, man, I, so I've, I've taught here now for 18 years, altogether for 30 years. I, I, I think I'm the type of person that when I, I, I just stand, I've almost taken like a red badge of courage. If you need to just say something, just shoot direct. Worry about it later. Now, maybe there's some good to that, but the older I get, I realize that can cause you more trouble than it's worth, especially when you love people and you're trying to pastor people long term. What good is it to hurt people and then clean up messes all the time? So now, listen to this. Here's what God's kind of done in my heart in the last couple of years. Now when I write a message, I always think, how will a person in a situation I'm about to speak to receive what I'm going to say? I try to be real careful now. So I'm going to make a statement to people who have adult children who aren't following Christ. It's not the way you raised them. It was not your intention, but for whatever reason, they're not in a place that you would say, that's what I would have chosen for them. So let me just talk to this for a minute. I think when we get in that place so many times, man, I think our, our instinct is to begin to warn them and to, to try to threaten them and to try, not, not directly like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to harm you, but it's just like, your life's going to get all messed up. And you Get off the negative. Quit trying to reinforce what is, what is fake and phony. Do this. Begin to expose them over and over and over again to who Jesus is, what Jesus... Give them the real so they can detect what's fake in life. Follow me on what I'm saying right now. It is so easy to just preach at people and tell them no and don't and that's bad and that's wrong and here's how it's going to end up for you and that's not what... And make them feel... We think by controlling them. We can make them do what we want and it drives them further away. What they need, man, is to taste the mercy and the grace and the love of Jesus when they're messing up the worst. That's the real stuff. And I think it's human nature just to always be focusing so much on that. Don't, 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 don't. Oh, this is so bad, 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 bad. And we're reinforcing something that just pushes them further. At this point, man, I'm telling you what they need is more of the real and not the false. The false won't help them. The real will show them. And don't, don't be misled, Jesus says. Build and hold on to Christ. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. It's an interesting little chapter. Jesus actually is teaching here. He's just, um, he's answering a question again. And and here's what Jesus said. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is a wise uh, person. They're like a person who builds a house on, what's the word there? Solid rock. Though the rain comes in, in torrents, and the floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. So let let me just say this. Following Jesus, here's what Jesus is saying. Following me does not keep storms out of your life. Following me does not mean that you're not going to go through difficulties. Here's my promise to you. That when you do go through difficulties, if you build it on me, your life will not collapse when it happens. This is the difference in what Christ offers us. You can build your life on things that change and move, and you will have storms too, and when those storms come, your life will collapse. 
happens every day. You should be a person who builds your life on Christ, a fixed point that never, truth that is eternal. And when the storms come, your house will not collapse. Don't be misled. I just threw this in here, just writing down a sentence that I thought maybe, maybe somebody would grab onto this. To live today, you've got to have some bit, as a believer, you've got to have some bit of a backbone, a willingness to be misunderstood or to take an unpopular stand. But let me throw in this sentence right here. To live as a believer today, you have to have a willingness to be misunderstood, a willingness to take an unpopular stand, but you have to do it and not be a jerk about it. All right, let me, this is test group number two on this side, okay? To live as a believer today and to hold on to truth. You have to be willing to take an unpopular stand. You have to be willing to be misunderstood for what you believe in, but you have to learn to do it without being a jerk in this world. The world does not go, wow, you're such a jerk. Let me follow. They, they don't do that, folks. <laughs> and I... I'm not, I'm not trying to be trite with it. It's a, it's a delicate balancing act today to not let go of truth but not be a jerk to everybody, not be superior and not be a judgmental jerk. Jesus was a master at it. He could hang out with people who believed the exact opposite of everything he came to do. He could love them, and it never compromised who he was. And he ultimately was able to win them through that. How about this? So his advice simply, don't be misled when you see these things happen. How about this one? Don't panic. I love that one. Don't panic. Don't lose your nerve. Don't, don't, don't freak out. Maybe that would be the, the modern vernacular, but don't panic. So let me, let me just say this. Um, here's what the Bible says. Solomon wrote this. There's nothing new under the sun. And we think we live in a time that has been so different from any other time in the world. Like, I, I mean, it's just the worst terroristic time. There's just so much stuff going on around the world. Man, that, that is such a limited, narrow, misunderstood view of history. There have been times far worse than what we live in today. Now, weapons today are far more sophisticated, no doubt about that. And the stuff that's going on in our lifetime... We look at it and we're like, it just, it can't have ever been any worse than this. But I assure you, there have been times in history where for believers, it was far worse than it is right now. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Let me, let me show this to you. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes these words, and let me give you the context. I don't know. Let me read it to you, and then I'll give you the context. So look at these really, these just nice poetic words. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, if we're persecuted, if we're hungry, destitute, if we have danger, if we're threatened with death? Go on to the next part. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day, we are being slaughtered like sheep. Nope. Despite all these things, overwhelming victories is ours through Christ who loves us. And then the last part right here. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. What a powerful little, what a poetic, you know what, he, he just got out of his Mercedes and went into his condo when he wrote these words right here. <laughs> well, so easy to write those words when everything's going well. The context of these words, he's living under a terroristic government called Rome 
who treated the people outside of Rome brutally in everything that they did. In particular, if you were a Christian, here's how they treated you. Some of the Caesars would burn Christians in their gardens for light at nighttime. It is historically factual that they threw them to the lions and to the gladiators in front of tens of thousands of Romans for sport. We, we tend to think that our day, no one's ever felt what we felt, gone through what we've gone through. Paul is in a Roman prison, knowing that the end is very near, knowing that God already, he already sent a prophet to him to tell him, Paul, if you follow me, here's how it's going to end up for you. And Paul is very near the end of his life at this point, living in a society that terrorizes people and is brutally terroristic against believers. And then he writes these words. Let me read them to you one more time. Now with context, listen to what he writes. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have... You ever have trouble? Yeah. Or calamity. If we're persecuted, if we go hungry... If we're destitute, we're endangered, if we ever feel threatened with death. Scriptures have said, for your sake, we're killed every day. Sometimes we feel like we're being slaughtered like sheep. But then he comes up with the conclusion, no, despite everything that we see around us, overwhelming victories is ours through Christ who loved us. And then he just goes after the heart of it. I'm convinced that nothing, where's he writing it from, a prison? with people who are treating him brutally and all of his brothers and sisters. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Death can't, life can't, angels can't, demons can't, our fears for today and our worries about what's going to happen tomorrow cannot separate us from the fact that God loves us and has a good plan for our life ultimately. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. It's one thing to read it if everything's going good. But it's another to read it. <laughs> How do you write that? So let me ask you, if you're being treated that way, what would your letter say? Mine would probably talk about how bad I'm being treated right now. So, I'd probably be questioning, God, if you love me, why am I having trouble in my life? I know none of you have ever said that before. But me being so fleshly, I have said, God, if you love me, why is this going on in my life? It makes no sense to me. So Paul didn't even try to answer the question. He just simply says, the bigger answer. How about this? Let me ask you this question. Despite everything going on in the world around you, how many of you would love to have a faith that can't be moved despite what happens around you? Would you like to live your life so solid that nothing can move you? So here, here's... here's Here's what God offers to you. He does not offer to you, if you serve me, I'll make everything so easy for you. I'll make you so prosperous. I'll make you so glamorous. And you, here's, you'll get out of the Mercedes one day, and I'll just call you to heaven. You'll go from the Mercedes to the ultimate Mercedes in the sky. That's not what God says. If you drive a Mercedes, hallelujah for you. I, this, I'm not picking on Mercedes. Here, here's what he just simply says is that regardless of what can happen, here's the Christian life that God offers us. I will help you build your life on a rock that regardless of what the enemy does around you, you'll win. Come on, you don't have to be moved. 
You don't have to be freaking out. You don't have to be looking like the rest of the world running for cover. Come on, Pastor. Stand strong. So I'm just, would you like to have your life that way? Because that's how I'd love to have my life every day. Not just when. (laughs) (laughs) You're not shouting now? He said, you're going to make me shout. I'm like, it can get louder than that? Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) Hey, let me give you four words that, um, that I hear people say to me almost every day. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that these are wrong feelings or bad feelings. This is just how people feel today. So here's the four things. I feel fearful. I feel angry. I feel confused. And maybe in my mind, the one that I dislike the most is people say, I feel discouraged. So let me just ask you, and I think you're smart enough to figure this out. Uh, are those the four things God wants you to feel or the four things that the enemy would love you to feel? Somewhere, this exchange of this life that God wants us to build on, when we're saying things like, I feel fearful and angry and confused and discouraged, the breakdown of what God's promise is and how we're applying it and living it in our life is not happening. God's promise to you is that you do not have to panic. You can be strong. Here, here, all the way back to the book of Genesis, uh, what the enemy intends for evil, God can still beat him at and use it for good in your life so that you ultimately conquer. So he doesn't promise just simply, hey, serve me, you'll never have trouble. So I'll give you a way through the trouble and you can win. I'll give you the last one. Don't be misled. Don't panic. These are just Jesus' encouragement to us in difficult times. The last one is just simply, I was going to put, um, don't quit. So it would have been, don't be misled, don't panic, don't quit. But I just felt like, man, it almost just makes the message sound trite. And that's the last thing I want is for you to feel like I'm being trite with this. Or I, I, that, that I'm saying something to you that I think is easy to do. It's, it's not easy to do. The last one is just simply Jesus' words. Uh, he who endures to the end will be saved. So I just put endurance is necessary to make it through. Uh, endurance is not a sexy word. Endurance is not necessarily exciting. Endurance is what you do when the excitement has left. That was worth the message right there if you just. Endurance is what you do when the excitement is gone. When the fun is not there anymore, you stick it out. You stand up. You hold on. You keep going. Hebrews 10.36 Paul writes these words right here, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you can receive what is promised. Let me just ask you this, serving God comes with a payday and the connection between the promise and the payday is endurance. The hold on, the the stay in there, the stick-to-itiveness. James writes it this way, I just, I I don't mean this, Lighthearted. It, it just, when I read it, it sounds lighthearted. But so it's James, he, he writes this letter uh, Brothers and sisters, so he's writing to other believers, when troubles of any kind, so not, I mean, any kind, come your way, look at this, consider it, 
an opportunity for great joy. The last time troubles came your way, how many of you were just like, hallelujah? I just, what a great day this is. (laughs) To be honest, I'm not being, I'm just, I mean, the Bible says, so either he's joking with us, jerking our chain, or there's something we don't know about here. So when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, okay, so once your faith is tested, here's what happens. Your endurance has a chance to grow. So you need endurance to make it to the end because the one who endures overcomes. You need endurance because endurance is necessary to receive the promise of God. And then he's, the Bible's so kind to tell us, then here's how endurance comes. When troubles come your way, your faith is tested. And when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. It doesn't mean if you quit, endurance doesn't grow. But if you stand up and stick to it, your endurance has a chance to grow. And then, and then these, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be, what's that word right there? Okay, bad, um, bad word to use here. Because the object of why we're doing what we're doing is not to become perfect people. And if you're there, please raise your hand and just, because you need to come up and teach, because this guy teaching is far from, the word perfect is mature. That would have been a better word to actually translate it in. It means mature. So I'll read it again. Uh, When your endurance is fully developed, you will be mature and complete, needing nothing. Okay, I just asked you a minute ago, how many of you want that life that's built on the rock where you are solid and you need nothing, you just can stand there and you're okay? You want that? Can you connect dots? When any trouble comes your way, it's an opportunity for your faith to be tested, so it should bring you joy ultimately when you think about what could come from it. When your faith is tested, it's an opportunity for endurance to grow, and when endurance, if you'll let it happen in your life. And you get the whole, all of this is cooperation because God will never force you. He will never force you to grow or endure. He will just ask you if you want to. And if you love Jesus, why wouldn't you want to? Why wouldn't you want to? And ultimately, endurance, when it's had its work in you, man, you are mature and you are complete and you need nothing. Nothing can shake you. Nothing can move you. Nothing can free. You are that man. You are that woman. You are that husband. You are that wife. You are that son. You are that daughter. You are that believer. So I'm, do you want that? Yes. That is what he offers to us. So have you ever said this? Why am I going through trouble? Why is this happening to me? I, I thought God loved me. How could this calamity come my way? Why am I having to suffer? Why am I left holding the bag? Why is my life hard? Why am I having to see a doctor? Why am I hurting? Why can't I see to pull it, see to pull it off like everybody else does? How do you answer that question? Take you to the greater truth. God can use it to beat the devil 
and make you that person that can't be moved. And I know it's, it's like, Pastor, I would rather you pray that God would part the trouble like the Red Sea. Sometimes God does do things like that for us, for sure. And sometimes he loves us so much that he wants us to grow up and wants us to be mature and complete so that we don't have to have everything around us constantly. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. nothing wrong with encouragement, but how good would it be if you didn't need that in order to make it through the day? That's the life that he offers us. Hmm. Father, I realize... Um, guys, listen, just listen to my heart for a second. Just close your eyes and just... Open your heart. Listen to my words. I realize maybe as you hear this message, you think, uh, John, if you knew what I was having to walk through right now, and if you knew how desperate my situation is, if you knew how lonely I felt, Pastor, if you could feel for five minutes what I feel every day, you wouldn't say what you said so easily. And I will just confess to you right now, I, I don't know the level that you're walking through. And even if I knew everything to know about your story, you're still the one that has to go through it and a person can empathize, but it's different than being the one who has to walk through it. So I don't stand up here and feel like I'm saying this from some ivory tower or saying things that I don't understand or know about. I would instead say to you that everybody, and I mean everybody, people who believe and people who don't, live in a fallen world that is full of difficulties. I don't know your story, but you don't know mine, but it doesn't change the ultimate reality of what God says he wants to do with what we're going through. Here's what makes this so real and powerful. This is not some snake oil that we're standing up here trying to sell you that if you apply this to your life, you'll have no trouble. Here's what makes this so real. Despite the trouble, you can win. Despite the pain, God can heal. Despite the difficulty, Jesus will never leave you. And the end of the matter is better than the beginning. And I would ask for the mercy and the grace of God to be so real to you. I would ask that you would build your life on nothing less than his promises, his righteousness, his truth, so that when the other stuff happens, you just simply can't be moved. A life that cannot be moved. It is built on a, a movable rock. An eternal truth. Maybe that seems so far away. Maybe it seems impossible. So here's all I'm asking you to do today. Would you just say... To God, help me. Do this in me. God, open my heart to you. So maybe you feel like you've failed in that 
Maybe you're sitting out there today thinking, man, my life is in just such a good place. I, it just doesn't seem like it applies to me. It's all good. Good or bad, keep building your life on the rock. Build your life on the rock. Father, draw us close to you and thank you for hearing our prayers. And I just pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.